growing up, I wasn't a big practicing Muslim. Um, I didn't pray five times a day like I should. I would for a period of time and then stop. So I always thought God hated me for that. Like God was so upset with me and ashamed of me. Like, how dare you, daughter? Like, I will punish you in the hellfire. That's how I pictured him. Before college, I sort of um, had doubts about Islam myself, but I wouldn't really verbalize it. And I met a friend of mine in college. He um, was actually uh, has a Muslim father and a Christian mother. He was a born-again believer. So the great thing about him was that he had already read the Quran in English multiple times. He would tell me things about Islam that I had never heard of, and he would quote it right out of the Quran. And um, we would have lots of dialogue. Um, I was very defensive. I was. I would get angry. I would get upset because it was crumbling before my eyes. Everything I knew. Um, and so I decided that I didn't want to talk to him again. That year, I spent just reading um, anything and everything I could get my hands on, and it was a period of anger, uh, depression, sadness, just fear of what can happen to me if I choose Christianity. And I was praying to God, pleading, just just speaking to him, not even in Islamic prayer, and he gave me um, a vision, um, a light outside my window shaped like a cross. And I was like, whoa! And really what you come to know is that God seeks after you. He's going after you. He chooses you, and he, he puts things in your path um, because he's, loving, he's a loving father and He wants to be close with you. That's when I gave my life to Christ, and you just see everything differently. Almost everything, just like, you're like, whoa, this, this is a different planet. Like, you just see everything differently. Um, you see God in everything, and it's transforming. In Islam, I felt like I, I had sinned, and then I would sin again, and then it was just like, you could just picture this pile of sin that I was, carrying on my shoulder and there's no way he's ever going to forgive all this and there's no way he's going to like let me into heaven. Um, it's really sad, depressing and guilt is just with you all the time, all the time. I remember um, being home and with my family and just feeling uh, that I wasn't welcome at home and you just feel the walls just coming in on you, you just feel that the enemy is not happy, that you are no longer his slave. And I remember I had a candle on in my room, and um, and they were like long candles, and it sort of got smaller, and, and I usually just let it die out. I remember that I just prayed to God that, um, I know this is, um, I know I'm going through a hard time, Lord, and I just, I hope that my fire for you and your light just forever is, stays in my heart because I'm losing my parents, and I woke up the next morning, and the candle was still on. Ten hours, I slept in. Ten hours later, and the wick, the there was a flame, just a wick, leaned against the, the holder, and it was on. It was on until noon. I said, Lord, don't let your light turn off. Like, don't, I, I don't want, I have you. That's all I have. I have you. That's it. I don't, I don't have my parents, if you like, but I have you, this light that I just, 
um, gives me gives me my peace and my strength. And right there, he he's just told me I, I'm right there for you and I love you. excited for us this morning to have our brother Fuad Masri sharing the word with us. Fuad uh, is the founder and president of the Crescent Project uh, in 1993, and the goal of the Crescent Project is to reach out, is to equip Christians to reach out to their Muslim neighbors and co-workers and build transformative relationships for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we had a, a session yesterday with, like I said, over 55 folks. And over the 20-plus years that Fuad has been leading this ministry, they have equipped and trained over 24,000 Christians to reach out to their Muslim neighbors. So would you give a warm welcome to our brother Fuad Masri? Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Wayside. It's great to be with you this morning. I'd like to hear myself echo. It's the 21st century, so we're going to be using some PowerPoint. And uh, many times people say to me, why are you Christians so happy? Don't you see the problems we're in? Why are you singing? Why are you so happy? We have problems, we have diseases, we have issues, we have uh, uh, a big election coming. Maybe a small election, I don't know. Why are you so happy? We are happy because we found Jesus, the Savior. We are happy because Jesus saved us from our sin. The greatest disease, the worst disease that hit this planet is called sin. When you watch the news, what you are seeing is what the devil is doing. What you see, the stuff happening in the Muslim world, the stuff happening in America, the stuff happening in Europe, this is what the devil is doing. But Jesus has come to save us from our sin. That's why we are so happy. That is why we sing. By the way, the band did a great job. I hope we sing more this morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise God. Uh, my name is Fouad Masri. It's great to be with you this morning. You have to use PowerPoint because it's the 21st century. Um, my, my plan this morning, I feel God wants me to tell you what is Jesus doing this morning. Not what the devil is doing when you watch the news. Um, the verse you see is John chapter 10. Verse 10, it's an Arabic calligraphy. Uh, Arabic culture is a beautiful culture. We have a lot of um, design and art and calligraphy. We like to use Arabic calligraphy. And this is from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus, the Messiah, says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Many times people say to me, Why do you want to tell Muslims about Jesus? I want to tell Muslims about Jesus because Jesus, the Messiah, the son of the Virgin Mary, told me and told us 2,000 years ago to go tell everyone, including Muslims, that he has come, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I was born in the city called Beirut, Lebanon. I don't know if you've heard of the Beirut, Lebanon. We're back in the news. And my name is Fouad. If you can't say Fouad, call me Joe. There is no L in my name, so it's not flawed. It's fraud, and it's no R. It's not fraud. It's fraud, okay? Now, my wife is American. She called me honey the first three years of our married life. So I said to her, why you call me honey? She said, I can't say your name. So please don't call me honey. 
That's from my wife, uh, Lisa. By the way, don't tell her I told this joke. <laughs> I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. My dad is Lebanese and my mom is Syrian. Lebanon is a small country. Uh, it's not a very big country. It's the size of Connecticut. So the first time I came to Texas, I was like, whoa, that's a big state. I was like driving 20 hours and I was still in the state of Texas. You know? <laughs> How big is the United States? So my dad is Lebanese, my mom is Syrian, so you can say I've been a hostage all my life until I came to America as an international student. My mom doesn't like this joke either. <laughs> but during the war in Lebanon, I don't know if you've heard, we had a civil war. It started in 1975. Many people say to me, why do you remember? Because I was in junior high. We had a math homework due. It started April 13, 1975. I had a math homework due, and that evening the PLO bombed uh, East Beirut. East Beirut militia started bombing West Beirut, and the newscaster came and said, tomorrow school is canceled. And I said, yes, no homework due. But it started the darkest tunnel. My friend Walid died in a bombing of the PLO. I hated the Palestinian people. I hated Arafat. He would pass behind my house with his tanks every night. And I hated Yasser Arafat. The other people I hated were the Jewish people. I told you my mom is Syrian, so I have cousins who fought in the Golan Heights. I have second cousins who lost their life there. So I hated the Jewish people. And I, my heart became hard. People dying. And I mean, you read the news that we have bombing now in Aleppo this morning and yesterday. You know, you, you see the headlines. Well, let me put it in picture. The, the, the bombing is, it leaves people at pieces. You could see a hand, a head. You'll be walking. There's parts of bodies. Nobody picked them up. And my heart was, ha- was hateful. I, I did not wish goodwill, goodwill for the Palestinians nor for the Israelis. And my vision to, solution, to solve this problem called the Middle East crisis was to take Israelis and Palestinians to a desert like Arizona, let them fight there, and whoever wins, give him the piece of land. And you know, you hear that there was a car bomb. But car bombs are really, it's, it's, a, it's a very way to mess with people's minds. They will take a Cadillac or a Mercedes or a Buick or a Chevy or some, some you know, Toyota, any car. They pull the upholstery and they put dynamite and then they add bags of nails. So when it explodes, there are many shrapnels. Then they put the car together and they put a timer. The timer could be seven in the morning, nine in the morning, maybe noon. Maybe three in the afternoon. Then they park the car in front of a mosque or a church or a school or a market. So many times you'll be walking not knowing which one is going to explode. There one year in my neighborhood, we had one every month, every four weeks we had a car explode in our neighborhood. And you have this terror. And my heart was very hard. And I decided to turn my back on God. I did not want to believe in God. I said, if God exists, it's his fault, you know. It's funny how we always blame God for stuff. So a friend of mine asked me, Fahad, if you die tomorrow, where do you go? I said, I don't care. I don't believe in God. He said, but if God exists, it's too late. Whoops. He's right. There's one guarantee on this planet. One guarantee. Everybody will die. It doesn't matter if you live in Beirut or San Antonio. Whether you live in in Africa or Russia, whether you're in South Africa or Argentina, everybody will die and you can't take it with you. So I decided to become an agnostic. That's a good word. Is there a God? I don't know. Is there a heaven? I don't know. 
But I was like a little boat being tossed by the waves. And I could not stand it. I said, if God exists, He should be communicating. Let me read what the religious people speak. So I read the Quran. I read Bhagavad Gita. I read the Mahabharata. I started reading. And what hit me, that Christ was different than any leader. Jesus washed the feet of His disciples. The only leader in history. Jesus said the leader must serve the followers. Wow, that's a great idea. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do unto others what you want them to do unto you. Hey, that's a good one for Congress. Jesus says, love your enemies. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. That's a great one for the Muslim world. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because I lay my life for the sheep. And Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what the master is doing. I call you friends. The Bible is the only book that says you and I can be the friends of God. But this information was in the mind. How did it come to the heart? The Bible says we have to worship God with all our mind. That's your intellect. That's your logic. That's your creativity. So education, study, creating something, inventions. That's the way we are asked by God to worship Him. You worship Him with all your mind. But then the Bible says we should worship God with all our heart. What does that mean? Heart is where your will is. You don't tell your wife, honey, I love you from all my mind. To say, oh, that's cute. No, I love you from all my heart. You my one and only. So how did the information about Jesus move from the mind to the heart? For me, this is what happened. We have family friends. They have four children. During the Lebanese war, they're eating dinner. And their youngest is a two-year-old son. While they're eating, the youngest boy spills milk. So the father picks up the boy, takes him to the bathroom to wash his hands. While he's washing his hands, a mortar shell, usually this big, looks like the Goodyear blimp, came through the balcony door, exploded in the middle of the table. Wife, three kids, pieces on the wall. The man survived, picked up a plastic bag, picked up the pieces and buried his whole family in one bag. And that was the trigger, that was the situation that moved the information about Jesus from the mind to the heart. The problem in Beirut was not weapons. Weapons don't kill people. People kill people. We've killed each other with sticks and stones and spears and tanks. And now we have jets. And now we have weapons of mass destruction. We've killed each other over religion, over denomination, over money, over skin color. The problem is the human heart. The problem was my heart. I hated the Palestinians. I hated the Jewish people. So I went to my room. I closed the door. I knelt by my bed. And this is what I prayed. I said, Lord Jesus, when you came to earth, you raised the dead and you healed the sick. Forgive me for my sin. The more there's war in Lebanon, the more I want to be a soldier of peace. 
The more there is hate in Lebanon, I want to be a soldier of love. And God changed my heart. The church I grew up in, five blocks from the seashore, had a regular prayer meeting. We prayed for Menachem Begin, Saddam Hussein, Yasser Arafat, Muammar Gaddafi. I started praying for my neighbors who were Shia, who were Sunni, who were Catholic, who were evangelicals, who were Iranians. We had Iraqis, we had Syrians, we had Turkish neighbors. We prayed for them because when you become a follower of Jesus, when you decide to follow Jesus, you don't see people by religion. You don't see people by race. You don't see people by how much money people have. But you see them as God's creation. And Jesus wants us to tell them that He has come, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. This morning, if you've taken Jesus as your Savior, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where God changes your heart. You changes your mind. If you have not taken Jesus as your Savior, please don't leave this place without saying, Jesus, I need you. This morning, what I want to do for a couple of minutes, share with you the situation we're in, but we're going to move to what is Jesus talking to us about? When you watch the news, what is Jesus wants us to know? What is Jesus, how wants us to, to respond? Why we want to share the gospel? Because Jesus asked us to do this. The second thing is, is what we call 1040 window. If you are born in any of these countries, the chances of you seeing a page of the Bible is zero. It's the 21st century. I can go to any bookstore and pick up a Quran. Yet the Bible is banned. The Arabic Bible is illegal in Morocco, Algeria, Libya, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman. Millions, 1.5 billion Muslims today have never heard the word of Jesus. Most Muslims are taught that Jesus was born under a palm tree. That's not true. Where was Jesus born? You know the story, right? We celebrated, you know. Where was Jesus born? It's a free country, you can say. Where was Jesus born? He was born where? In a manger. Who showed up? The shepherds, the angels, the magi. What did the magi bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The simplest story about the birth of Jesus. Not one, not ten, but millions of Muslim young men, Muslim young women, who've never heard the beautiful story about the birth of Jesus. This is the situation we're in. On top of that, the imams don't read the Bible. We do mission trips. On one trip, we were in Spain. We're distributing Bibles, and the table was next to the curb. I love to tell this story. So the table was next to the curb, and this car slows down. The driver had a bushy beard down to his second button. Bushy beard. Which means he's devout. He rolls down the window. I say, Salaamu Alaikum. He says, Wa Alaikum Salaam. I say, Sir, we're giving the book of Jesus. Would you like to take a copy? He looked at me. He goes, I am the Imam of Amsterdam. I don't know. He's a Moroccan. Maybe moved to Amsterdam. But he said, He's the Imam. I said, Nice meeting you. He said to me, Have you read the Quran? I said, Yes, 16 times. He goes, In Arabic? I said, Yeah, in Arabic. Why? Do I look French to you? I'm an Arab. <laughs> so he laughed. He said, I've read the Quran only four times. I've never read the book of Jesus, the Injil. I said, can I give you the Injil, sir? He said, since you read the Quran, I'll take it. He took the Injil and drove off. I'm thinking to myself, I'm an evangelical minister. I read the Quran 16 times. Now 19 times because I love Muslims. I read the Quran. He's the imam. He's the religious leader. He's never read the book of Jesus. So when Muslims ask him about Jesus, what does he tell them? He's never read the book. So our problem today is not accessible. Two, the leadership don't tell them. Three, the only window in the Muslim world on who we call Christians is television and movies. 
First trip to Morocco. I've been to Morocco four times. By the way, Morocco is a beautiful country. It's beautiful people, very hospitable, very open. Uh, talk about religion. But I was in Morocco four times. First trip, we're in a train ride from Casablanca to Marrakech. We're sitting there, and the guy hears me speak. He goes, are you an Arab? I said, yeah, I'm an Arab, but I live in the United States of America. He goes, America? I said, yeah, America. He goes, America is a bad country. I said, America is a bad country? He goes, yeah. Americans are illiterate, uneducated, and a bunch of cow herders. I think he meant cowboys. <laughs> I said to him, sir, have you been to America? He goes, no. I said, where do you get this information? He goes, I watch movies. <laughs> what is he watching? Clint Eastwood and uh, Good, Bad? and What is he watching? I said, sir, there are more than 2,000 mosques in America. He was shocked. He goes, oh, America allows freedom of religion? I said, yeah, you can be any religion in America. He goes, it's illegal to be Christian in Morocco. He's right. It's the 21st century to be a citizen of Morocco. In the 21st century, you have to be Muslim. You cannot be any other religion. You have to be Muslim Sunni. You cannot be any other sect. And then you have to be Muslim Sunni Maliki to be a citizen of Morocco, which is a member of the United Nations. It's the 21st century. It's like saying you have to be a citizen of America, you have to be Southern Baptist from Georgia. <laughs> and this is the situation we're in. And what happens to us, it's so easy for me to sing a song and uh, clap a little bit and let's go get Starbucks. But sadly, we are in major problems. Most Muslims today don't know what we believe. And it's so sad. It's so sad that Christ told us to go tell them about him. Go tell everybody about him. The next map will show you Muslims in America. Each red dot represents a Muslim community. And more than 7 million Muslims, they come from Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Turkey, Morocco, Afghanistan. This morning, can't wait to tell you what God is doing. But the beautiful thing about them coming here is there's a great opportunity. The sad thing is nobody visits. One of the young ladies took our Bridges study, the training on DVD, and decided to do prayer walking. You know, I love prayer walking. Prayer walking is a no-brainer. You just walk and pray. And let God move. So she was walking, praying. She discovered there's an Egyptian family. She started talking to the mother and the daughter. They invited her inside the house. So they're having chai, Egyptian tea, Egyptian chai. And while they're drinking, the mother says, you're a nice American. She said, thank you. She goes, we've lived in this house for six years. You're the first American to come in. They lived there six years. She was the first American. Loving Muslims does not mean you agree with Islam. Islam is the problem, yes. Islam teaches jihad. Islam teaches taqiyah. Islam teaches riddah. Islam teaches polygamy. Islam has a lot of problems. But the many times the Muslims are the victims. And we need to separate in our mind Islam from Muslims. I want to love Muslims. That does not mean I agree with Islam. But I want to love Muslims. And sadly, 7 million now plus, there's a, many international students, they come here and they never visit a Christian home. They never visit a Christian home. That is the sad situation. This is one shows you the number, every red spot shows you the increase in Muslim immigrants. This is the states that are taking immigrants in. And it's sad, many times they come from countries that are in the middle of the war. Syria now has 12 million displaced people. 
uh, in the last four years, more than 600,000 dead. More than 600,000 dead. I mean, how can, you, how can we sit down and think, wow, people are dying every day. Um, I was in Columbus, Ohio doing the training and this sweet lady comes up. She goes, my neighbor is from Somalia. I became friends with her. She saw her dad in Somalia get shot, tied to the bumper and dragged down the street. What do you think this lady needs? I said, she needs you to be loving, to need you to read Psalms for her, read Bible verses for her, listen to her story. She needs a friend. She's gone through a traumatic situation. Many times just because you see them here or maybe they have the hijab on, we panic, you know. I, I, was, I was in a state. I don't want to say the name of that state because they have a good football team. You know, uh, one elder said to me, uh, uh, what? I don't want to talk to Jesus, about Jesus with Muslims because they might blow up. No, they're not going to blow up. Not every Muslim is involved in Islamic terrorism. Most Muslims are nominal, cultural. They have traditional information. Many are here running away from mess. Well, one guy said to me, an elder in the church said, Muslims don't deserve the gospel. Really? Who deserves the gospel? Who? We deserve the gospel. No one deserves the gospel. When God looked from heaven, everyone had fallen short. All have sinned. So my brother and my sister, they're coming. They are becoming our neighbors. When you look at Europe, but I want to share with you in Europe, the idea of this, many times we come to the United States and we think, oh, it's okay here. It must be okay there. It is not okay. Terrorism has been on the increase. My master's degree is in Islamic study. My bachelor's degree is in journalism and communication. I used to think the media has an agenda. They don't have an agenda. No, I've been here 23 years. They don't have an agenda. They just want to sell you commercials. You get 90 seconds, 90 seconds, and then five minutes commercials. Can you tell me why the Sunnis and Shiites are fighting now? The war started in 656 AD. Okay, we get it. But why are they fighting now? Who are the Turkish? Who are the Kurds? We don't know. You get 90 seconds. You put in this cocoon. Somehow, you know what God said to me, the way we vote, terrorism will go away. That's not true. Terrorism has been on the increase. One guy said, oh, the, the, the terrorists are not Muslim. Okay, if they're not Muslim, what are they? Presbyterian? Who are these people? Roman Catholic? Who are these people? CNN could not answer, how come people leaving Europe to go fight with ISIS? 1,400 fighters from Morocco, 1,500 fighters with ISIS it's from the United Kingdom. They say, oh, he was radicalized. What does that mean? What does it mean that they were radicalized? What does that word mean? So we have major issues. It's going to increase, it's not going to decrease because the problem is the human heart. The problem is the human heart. Finally, what you are looking at is a struggle. Who represents Islam? Osama bin Laden or King Abdullah of Jordan? King Abdullah of Jordan who said, we'll give peace and everybody's treated equal, whether they're Christian, Muslim, Jewish, whatever. Who represents Islam? Basically, who the person who represents Islam is the Muhammad, the prophet of Islam. But there is a struggle today between those who want to reform and modernize and those who are saying, no, the best days of Muhammad, Islam is the days of Muhammad. Now, when we look at this mess, it's scary for us. We think, Oh, some of us are angry. Some of us are fearful. But what does Jesus say to us? Matthew eleven twenty eight to verse 30. I love our Savior. 
If you want to look at your Bible, that's fine, but I have it on the screen. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus first talking to us today. Is there anger in your heart? We have the right to be angry. Whatever happened, how can somebody take an ice cream truck and run it over little kids with balloons? How can you do that? Yes, we have the right to be angry. Yes, you should be angry. But Jesus says, bring this burden. Be angry, but don't sin. Be angry with what happened, but love the people to the gospel. Bring that burden. Many times we think, oh, I don't, I don't need Jesus. I can do it by myself. No, Jesus is saying, bring that burden of anger. And say, Lord, change my anger to action. Maybe you're afraid. I don't know. Maybe you're afraid of this next election. Maybe you're afraid of tomorrow. Maybe you're afraid from somebody in your neighborhood. Relax. Don't panic. Who's on the throne? Jesus on the throne. Bring that fear and say, Lord, take the fear and give me faith. I love this verse. He, Jesus says, come, bring your burden, and there's a promise. I will give you rest. Maybe there is a relationship that's burdensome this morning. Maybe there's somebody distracting you from following Jesus. Bring that burden. Maybe there's a situation in your family or in your job. Bring that burden. Jesus is asking you to bring it. He loves you so much. He wants you to bring it. And then he will give you rest. Sometimes people get um, bent out of shape because we say Jesus is the only Savior. I'd like to tell this experience. A few years ago, I went to Houston, discovered that one of the young men I went to high school with is now moved to Houston, Texas. So I called him and said, hey, I'm in town here speaking at a church. He goes, well, why don't you meet me? Uh, there was like some kind of Tex-Mex restaurant, you know. So great, we'll love Tex-Mex, you know, let's go eat. So I get there, he goes, oh, my wife decided to join us. She's a lawyer. And uh, I told her about you, and she probably will join us, but she's running late. So we're sitting there talking. Once she showed up, uh, he says, hey, this is my friend Fuad. He's an evangelical minister. So she looks at me, and she goes, you evangelicals make me sick. I said, nice meeting you too. <laughs> um, then I said, I hope we didn't offend you. She goes, no, you don't offend me. But Jesus is not for everybody. Jesus only came for the Christians. Which doesn't make sense because Jesus was a Jewish carpenter, right? So I don't understand where she's going. So we're enjoying our food. I looked at her and said, I understand you're a lawyer. She said, yes. Well, all, by the way, all, I respect all lawyers. If anybody lawyers in the house, please. I said, um, I, I'm sure you heard of a disease called AIDS. She goes, oh yeah, it's a very bad disease. I said, what if uh, United States Congress um, gets a scientist, an American scientist, and they give him money in the grant, and we discover the cure of AIDS. Wouldn't that be great? She goes, oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful if we discover the cure for AIDS. I said, okay, if we discover the cure for AIDS, what if Congress says, because it's our discovery, only U.S. citizens get the cure? She goes, oh, no, that's not right. I said, why it's not right? It's our money. It's our discovery. She goes, no, they cannot do that. They have a moral obligation. Oh, she's a lawyer. They have a moral obligation. I said to her, uh, moral obligation? What kind of morality? 
The stock market morality? If my stocks don't make money, I sell the stock. What morality are you talking about? Hitler's morality? Hitler's morality? I have them, the force, I'll, I'll put the rules down. Is that, is that the morality you're talking about? She looks at me and goes, what are you talking about? I said, you're talking about Jesus' morality. You're talking about Jesus who said, you freely received, freely give to others. The reason we are excited about Jesus is because Jesus is the cure for sin, which is a worse disease than AIDS. She said to me, I'm sorry, I have to go smoke. What's so sad today is that we don't want to deal with the issue that only Jesus can change the heart. And when we look at the Muslim world and the problems around us here in America, we just throw more money. Don't you love America? Let's send more money. But the solution is the heart. Jesus is promising, come to me and I'll give you rest. Then Christ says, when I give you rest, then you take my yoke upon you. What? When you're rested, when you're forgiven, when that burden is gone, then you take his yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now in those days, this is how you used to plow, okay? In those days, they put a horse or a donkey or a cow. My, fa- my uncle in Syria was a farmer. So they, they used to put maybe sometimes two donkeys, two cows. But once you put the yoke, then it tied to the, to the plow and you step on the plow and you look forward. You look forward, not backward, forward. Why? So it keeps straight. So this is how the yoke looked. I found this picture on Google. Like one of the cows is like, oh, good. The other one's like, oh, bummer. I'm in the yoke. <laughs> and sometimes they are not even, right? Sometimes one is stronger than the other. What Jesus is saying, when you come to me and you get dressed and you carry my yoke, you take my identity, you take my burden, you reach out to others like I do reach out to others. You become my ambassador, you become my light. And Jesus says it's easy because he's with us, he's alongside of us. And when you're plowing sometimes, one is a new, maybe new ox, the other one is older ox, they know how to lead each other. So Jesus is saying the yoke is easy because I'm with you. That conversation with your Muslim friend, that conversation with your neighbor, that conversation with maybe somebody that needs to hear about Jesus, I am with you. And then it's light because I'm carrying it with you. Jesus is asking us to do this. The challenge for us today, as you look at the Muslim world, as you look at the news, as you look at the mess, whether it's the election or what's going on next year, or what's going on in the Muslim world, or maybe what's going on in your work, what's going on in your family, Jesus is saying, bring that. I give you rest and carry my yoke. Carry my yoke. Share with you a couple of things. Our training now is in 48 countries. The training is on a bridges study. Um, there's a couple of things I want to show you. These are our resources that you can get ambassadors to Muslims and connecting with Muslims. This is our training. I want to show you this picture. This is a Saudi lady. We were in London distributing Bibles in London. See, in the summer, it gets very hot in Saudi Arabia. So many Saudis go to London to vacation. I said that at a training in Phoenix, Arizona. And the gentleman in the front raised his hand. I said, yes, sir. He goes, I served in Gulf War One." I. I said, thank you. He goes, there was no shade. There was no shade. So basically, it was a hot place. But we distributed Bibles. We stand on the corners. We ask Muslims if they'd like a copy of the Bible. This is a Saudi lady. She just received her first Bible. In four days, we gave out 897 Bibles. 
Muslims are thirsty to know about Jesus. Muslims are hungry. In June, we met Faiza. Remember, she gave her testimony this morning. In July, I'm speaking in Michigan, and my cell phone has a text. The text starts, OMG, OMG, OMG. That's, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And she goes, my sister Fatima just had a dream of Jesus. Would you pray for Fatima, my brother, my sister? In August, I'm preaching in a church in New Jersey. After the service comes up, an Albanian with his fiancée from Uzbekistan. The Albanian guy shakes my hand and goes, I became a believer in Jesus three years ago. And my fiancée just had two dreams of Jesus. She heard your message. She wants to become a follower of Christ. And I said to her, would you ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life? She prayed with me there. God is moving like no. Never before. I believe there is a day coming where Muslims will come to your church, ask you about Jesus. This day is not here yet. But Muslims are hungry to know about the Savior. Uh, Imam Hassan, I was with Imam Hassan March this year having dinner. I said, I said, Imam, why did you become a believer in Jesus? He said to me, I was in Nebraska. And visiting one of my family members, and they gave me an Arabic Bible. And I'm reading in the Bible where Jesus says, Min Athmarihim Tarifunahom, from their fruit you shall know them. He became a believer. My friend Haitham, he got a Bible on a flight. He was sitting by somebody who believes in Jesus. He gave him a Bible in Arabic English. He ordered and sent it to him. Haitham was reading the, the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Tuba, Allah. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they will see God. And he became a believer in Jesus. God is moving like never before. God is, is doing something among Muslims today. He can save Muslims and he will. Because God loves Muslims like he loves us. That's the beauty of the gospel. God does not have a favorite football team. God does not have a favorite people. He loves all people. And he has a plan for all people. And he chose Abraham and his descendants for one reason. Remember? He says, I chose you to bless the nations. God's vision is to bless all people. This morning, God is speaking to you. I know God is asking you to do something after this service. Maybe there's a relationship you need to call that person and say, look, I, I can't be with you if you don't love Jesus. Maybe there's somebody who needs an attention from you. Maybe you need to call somebody and say, hey buddy, I just... I just want to tell I just prayed for you. Can I help in any way? Maybe there's a Muslim at work that you need to stop praying for and talking to them. Maybe God is asking you today to go overseas. That's an idea. Maybe God wants you to leave this country and go to a place where you shine the light of Jesus. In the last 10 years, more Muslims have become followers of Jesus than the previous 1,400 years. Number one reason, they met a practicing Christian. Number two, they read the Bible in the language. Number three, they saw a vision or a dream of Jesus. God is moving. Let's join Him in showing love to Muslims. Last verse, when I look at Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What happens today when we talk about reaching out, people you know, look on the plow and they look back, say, oh, you remember September 11? Oh, I remember. But Jesus is saying, look forward. Get involved. Be focused. 
Don't give excuses. Oh, remember the Boston bombing? I remember. But just saying, carry my yoke, shine the light. Oh, remember New Jersey? I do. Jesus saying, look forward. Get involved. It takes involvement, action. A good illustration is when I came to America. I came to America first year as a college student. And in, in Lebanon, you know, we play soccer, right? Where you play in America? Football, you know? So I wanted to learn American football. My roommate um, was from Ohio. I said to him, man, are you going to teach me football? He goes, yeah, what are you doing for Christmas? I said, nothing. He goes, why don't you spend Christmas in my house in Cleveland, Ohio? Biggest mistake in my life. <laughs> don't go Christmas to Cleveland. It was minus 30 windshield factor. I'm from Beirut, Lebanon. He took me to the lakefront. I've never seen so much ice in my life. I was freezing. You know, this 18-year-old I had here, promise you. I was, I was so cold. I said, man, let's go home. So sure, sure. So we went home. And we get there. We turn the television set on. It was at Dallas Cowboys playing Atlanta Falcons. So I said, okay, are you going to teach me the game? He goes, yeah, yeah. Let's watch the game. He goes, from each team, there's 11 players. I said, only 11? He says, yeah, 11 players. I said, wow, it must be a high injury game. Look at the replacements on the sideline. <laughs> he goes, wait, 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 you know, wait. No, no, there's offense, there's defense. Kicking teams, special teams. So I'm learning the game. I said, okay, so when does a player know it's their turn? He said, the coach will tell him. The coach will tell him. This morning, a Jesus is our coach. On his team, we all play. We're all starters. My brother and sister, this morning, Jesus is asking you to do one thing. Don't stand on the sidelines. The biggest danger is we skip excuses. Oh, Lord, that's offense. I'm defense. No, get in the game. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to say, Lord, what is the one thing you want us to do after leaving the, the service? Let's pray. No one judges anyone else. We have all fallen short of the kingdom of God. My brother and my sister, bring your burden to Jesus. Because there is a promise. If you bring it, he will give you rest. This morning, what is your burden? Bring it to him. If it's a sin, a situation, finances, relationships, bring it to him. In your mind and heart, focus on Jesus and say, Lord, give me your yoke. May I learn from you. Abba Father, we thank you that we can call you Abba because of Jesus. Lord, this morning millions of people don't know that they can call you Abba. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary, to live a perfect life, to give us great teachings, to die on the cross for a redemption and raise from the dead for our justification. We thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that ignites in our heart a passion for Jesus and a compassion for Muslims. 
Lord, you promised where you open, no one will shut. And where you shut, no one will open. So Father, we ask this morning that you will open the door for the gospel wide. So many Muslims will hear the good news of Jesus. Lord, I ask today that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we will love Jesus more than stuff and toys and money and positions. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we will love you, Jesus, so much. That we will cross the street and welcome Muslims in our neighborhood. Father God, this morning you asked us to bless and not to curse. So Lord, we ask today that you bless Muslim fathers and Muslim mothers. Lord, we pray that you bless Muslim little children. Lord, we pray that you bless Muslims with the true blessing of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Can we give Fuad out a hand once again? This may, not, this may not surprise you. I like the coaching analogy that Fuad said that we've been called into the game. And we as a church want to come alongside and help you. So if you open up your bulletin and you have the prayer insert, if you look on the back side of your prayer insert, we have a couple of just kind of different next steps. And one of those is next week, starting on Tuesday the 18th, we'll be having a Bridges to Muslims eight-week study over at the Stone Oak campus. The Fuad teaches on DVD, but we have a facilitator, and it's a great time to become equipped and engaged with how can I reach out to my Muslim neighbors more effectively. I also want to let you know that we have recently recently agreed to host uh, Perspectives in the fall of 2017. So we're going to be, our church will be hosting Perspectives, which really teaches about God's global mission. So I hope that you consider being a part of that in the fall of 2017. And before you leave today, if you want to step outside by the, in the foyer, we have some of Fuad's resources that help us with some literature about how to connect with Muslims near and around you because God has a heart for them. And so I'm going to pray for Fuad. If you will join me and we pray for his ministry and just for what God is doing in and through Crescent Project. And then we're going to stand and sing this last song together. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. Who deserves the gospel? No one. It is by your grace. It is by your grace that you came and that you took our burdens, that you took our shame, that you took our sin, that you hung on the cross, that you rose from the grave. And you are calling people to yourself that they may receive that rest, that forgiveness. And God, once you call us, once we are recipients of your mission of redemption, you have now called us to be ambassadors of Christ, partakers of the gospel, and be a part of that, taking that mission to others. God, I thank you for our brother Fuad and just what you've done in and through Crescent Project and through his ministry. I pray you would protect his family, that you would protect his integrity, help him walk in godliness. And God, that the next 10 years more Muslims would be reached than the previous 10 years combined. God, that you would do a mighty work for your glory. And would you use a little church in a little part of the world to be a part of that. That's what we want, God. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are a good God who saves. Independent of color and education and location but by your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.